Greetings from Bethel Church in Edgemont, South Dakota. Thanks for joining us today. I am Pastor Brad, and on behalf of Pastor Nancy, Bethel Church, and myself, we're glad that you are here. We hope that the message today is an inspiration for you. We hope that God's Word speaks to you. We hope that the Holy Spirit moves within you and that you are changed. Get ready. This is going to be good. Come on. Well, good morning. I'm glad you've decided to join us today as we finish out this third week in our series entitled Perfectly Imperfect. And as we start this message this week, I'd like to begin with a story of a little boy. There was a little boy and he went out to a baseball field by himself wearing his baseball cap and carrying a bat and a ball. And his eyes was the look of this steely determination. In fact, he was so full of confidence that he put his bat on his shoulder. He tossed the ball in the air and said, I'm the greatest batter in the world. But he swung and he missed. Strike one, he said. He picked up the ball. He looked the ball over and then he threw it in the air again. And as he watched the ball fall, he repeated, I'm the greatest batter in the world. But once more, he missed. Strike two, he said with a puzzled look on his face. And he stopped to examine his bat as if to make sure there wasn't a hole in it. A third time, he picked up the ball, he adjusted his cap, and he tossed the ball into the air. And as the ball went up the third time, he repeated the refrain, I'm the best batter in the world. He swung with all his might, but he missed for a third straight time. Strike three, you're out, he said with the emphasis of an umpire. But instead of being discouraged, the boy began to jump and shout across the ball field. Wow, what a pitcher. I am the greatest pitcher in the world. You see, it's all about the point of perspective. Now, as we end up this year, Christmas is soon on its way and we will be starting the 2022 season. And this year may have gone very well for you. On the other hand, you may feel like you've struck out. See, we've all struck out in some areas of our lives, but the good news is that you don't have to just justify it somehow or call failure by another name. Because even though you may have messed up, there's always another chance, another chance to begin new, especially with God. So I'm wondering today if there's anybody listening that needs another chance, needs a new beginning, needs a clean slate. You see, we serve the God of second chances, and I, for one, am very grateful. Our sins can never be greater than the grace of God. Our failure can never be greater than the love of God, and our failure in the past does not determine what we will become in the future. I'd like to read to you today from the book of Philippians, chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Jesus Christ took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Jesus Christ. How often do we do that as we're driving down the road of our lives? We spend way more time looking in the rearview mirror than we do from the windshield. Seems a little backwards, I think. You know, I was thinking as I was preparing this message of the journey that I've been on, and I remember as a young man, I had this thought in my head. I had The thought was, I have never interviewed for a job that I didn't get. 
So I remember the first call that I ever received where I did not get a job. To say I was devastated would be an understatement. And as I progressed through my career, I had many different jobs. In fact, at one point, I was looking to move so I could be closer to my son. I interviewed for 12 principal jobs in two years, and I was the runner-up for every one of them. You see, I had a new perspective at that moment. Then, one day, things turned around, and I received my first principal job ever. But that job, too, didn't go so well. You see, I was hired as a principal and an athletic director and a teacher, all in the same spot, and oftentimes I became overwhelmed and I felt alone. So I made a decision that it was time for me to move on, and so I received a job as the principal of a Native American boarding school. I was convinced that I was made for that job. And after five years, when I walked into the superintendent's office for my annual review, she simply said, we're not returning, renewing your contract for next year. Once again, I was devastated because I was convinced that the Lord had called me to this place. So without a job, without direction in which way I wanted to go, I took a job working in a sugar beet factory, working shift work day after day after day. And after a while, a job came up in our hometown. I was hired on as the city auditor. It was, a, it was a good job. It was a steady job. But I was left feeling unsatisfied. And I decided at that moment it was time for me to re-enter the educational realm. And so I started a job teaching third grade in a small town with a promise that someday I may take over the principal job there. But once again, things didn't go as I had planned, and somebody else was offered the job. So one day, I happened to call a friend of mine who was a superintendent, and I said, I heard you have a job opening. I'm interested in applying for the principal job. And that's how I ended up in a small town in Edgemont, South Dakota. I thought everything was going to be absolutely perfect. But once again, after a very short time, I was heading for a different position. You see, in all of life's struggles, perseverance is the key. So today as I go through this message, I want to highlight three attributes that lead to three actions we need to take to help us move forward. The first attitude adjustment that God wants to plant in our minds is this. Number one, failure is not final. If failure was final, none of us would make it. None of the people in the Bible would make it either. In fact, the Bible is one story after another after another of people who messed up repeatedly and how they were coached along the way by God until they, too, got it right. Names like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jonah, David, Paul, and Peter come to mind, along with many others, including my own. If failures were not included in the Bible, simply put, there would be no one there. If failures were not included in the church, no one would be here either. But the Bible also shows us that failure is not final. The Lord says in the book of Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 34, for I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. I think that one is worth repeating because it is crucial to our understanding of failure. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. 
See, Jesus promises us that at the moment that we repent from our sins, they are forgiven and we are no longer identified by those sins. That's what the Bible says. It also goes on in the book of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 to say, Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Isn't it wonderful that God gives us a chance to begin again? The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17, one of the most often quoted scriptures in the Bible. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. Now, while this is often a verse that we use when we talk about baptism, realistically speaking, this could be our daily prayer. We serve a God of new beginnings. Now, the second attitude that God wants us to adopt is this. Number two, bad results can be redeemed. See, bad choices lead to bad consequences. And many of us are living with the results of a wrong decision in our life. And it's true that God forgives our past sins and that he heals the wounds with which sin has injured us. However, there are scars that remain even from a healed wound. But even scars can serve a purpose. They remind us of what happens when we rebel against God and try to go in our own way. They also serve to help us to relate to other people who have wounds as well. We can help them to know that wounds can heal and that the consequences of our actions may be redeemed. The good news is that God uses everything in our lives. He even uses our failures. If we take a moment to look at Peter, Peter was the most confident of Jesus' disciples. He really believed that even if everyone fell away from Jesus, he would still stand. But when it came down to it, he was the one who betrayed Jesus in his most difficult hour. Three times he denied that he even knew Jesus. Immediately after the rooster crowed, red-hot shame burned within him. He lived within that shame for several days the day of crucifixion, the days of Jesus' burial, even after the resurrection. Until one day, he and some other disciples were fishing out on the Sea of Galilee. Now the risen Jesus calls to them from the shore, Friends, haven't you any fish? They all simply answered, No. They were even failures at their old profession. They felt like they couldn't do anything right, but Jesus called them friends, these who he who had deserted him, who had denied him. Even Peter jumped out of the boat and swam to the shore, longing to be reconciled with the Savior that he loved. And when he came to the fire, Jesus looked him in the eye and said, Peter, do you love me? And now the fire brought back memories of his betrayal and Jesus' words pierced him like a knife. He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. But a second time, the question is thrust into his heart. Peter, do you love me? Now again, Peter agonizedly answers in the affirmative, and then a third time, Jesus asks the question again. By this moment, Peter is distraught, but he answers what he knows is in his heart to be true in spite of his failure. He says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I loved you. Now it seemed to him like Jesus was asking repeatedly because he didn't believe him, but here is another perspective. Maybe, just maybe, Jesus was giving him three times to affirm his love for him after he had denied him three times. Jesus gave him a chance to redeem himself. He took his denial and turned it into a proclamation of love. 
And I'm here today to tell you that Jesus wants to do the same thing for you. Gentleman by the name of John Orderberg, who is the American evangelical Christian author, speaker, and the former senior pastor of Menlo Church in Menlo Park, California, wrote this. Redeeming is what God is into. He is the finder of directionally challenged sheep, the searcher of missing coins, the embracer of foolish prodigal children. His favorite department is the lost and found. And if there's one way that human beings consistently underestimate God's love, it is perhaps in his loving and his longing to forgive. Now, the third point is all of this, and it's simply this. Number three, the future is open. I want to remind you today that the future is as bright as the promises of God. Failure does not mean that you are finished. God can not only forgive your sin, he can redeem what you have done. You're not doomed to repeat your your mistakes and relive your lifestyle. Your future is not dictated by your past. Something new always awaits you. It is a future designed by God. In the book of Revelations, Jesus said, I am making everything new. Now, the Apostle Paul knew how to face the future when he said, not that I have already obtained all of this or have already became perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Jesus Christ took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Jesus Christ. Now, how do we press on towards the goal? I believe that I could finish this message right there, but something would truly be missing. You know, it's important to have another chance and a clean slate, but there is something important required, and that part is our part. Do you remember what Jesus said happened when an evil spirit came out of a man? The evil spirit found no place to dwell, so he came back to the man to find the house of his heart swept clean and put in order, but it was unoccupied. Jesus said, Then the unclean spirit goes and takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in, and they too live there. And the final condition of that man is worse than the first. You see, true change comes when, first of all, you invite God to move in. If you call on the Lord in faith, he is with you and he lives in you. See, it's simply not enough to straighten out your act and to have things clean and in order see, that is a negative condition. We must actively invite God to to dwell in all areas of our lives. We're no longer keeping God in our pocket or simply using him when we're in trouble. He's no longer a hobby or a passing interest. He is life itself. He's in control and we have given up trying to get our way and run our lives ourselves. You see, Jesus is not just in the guest room. He is invited into every room of the house, and suddenly life begins to work. You're not only swept clean and have things in order, but there is a new occupant in the house. Everything is different now. See, new power comes with a new presence in your life. When you're full of self, you are empty, and there is an evil force waiting to fill the void. You may think your house is in order, but without the presence of the Holy Spirit, it will not stay that way for long. This filling is what changed the early church from a band of people who shared a common belief system into a transforming movement that changed the world. 
If we're truly praying for revival to happen, we must be filled with the Holy Spirit. We must allow the Spirit to fill every corner of our lives. The, the Bible describes those early believers in this way, and it says, After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. I imagine at a moment that they were terrified, but I would take that fear every single time. Because to have the Holy Spirit move throughout of a church would be life-changing. You see, when these people allowed God to fill them, God used them to change the world. And the same thing must happen to you today. You know, secondly, true change comes when you, you seek the truth. Now, part of the reason that you have had failure and dysfunction in your life is that you've believed the wrong things. Sometimes you even consciously or unconsciously rejected the truth of God. You want to be able to figure things out on your own. You want to trust your own thinking rather than to submit your mind to the word of the God. So the result was that you believed things that were not true and acted on them. You believed that you did not have to obey God in everything and you could get by with doing what you wanted. But chaos and dysfunction began to come into your life. Things began to fall apart. Part. The point is, wrong thinking simply results in wrong living. Actions begin as ideas, and if your ideas are wrong, then the things you do will off, be off base as well. You need to fill your mind with the Word of God, just as you need to fill your life with God. Would you want a mechanic working on your car who was unwilling to take any training because he liked to figure out things for himself? How about a dentist? How about a doctor who was never willing to submit to the authority and knowledge of his instructors, but who still liked to diagnose people's illnesses and prescribe medicine? If we go one step further, worse yet, how about a surgeon who wields the knife in the operating room without studying surgery and says to the nurse in the operating room, I've never seen this before. It must not be important. I think I will simply cut it out. Or how about a husband or a wife who knows something of what the Bible says about life and family, but has their own agenda? How about someone who thinks they can develop their own standard of morality? They determine what is right and wrong for themselves. How about a Christian? Someone who thinks that none of the rules apply to him or her because getting their needs met at this particular time is more important than obeying God. You see, you must seek the truth and apply it if your new change is going to end up being a new beginning of something great. God is the God of second chances or next chances, but he does not want to set you up to fail. He wants you to find stability and success in your life and a relationship with him. It's a dangerous thing for a Christian to think, I know enough already. I don't need anyone to teach me anything. I don't need anyone else. But what happens is when you've stopped growing, it's the beginning of ignorance. It could be your spiritual downfall, especially since the Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs, pride, go, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride is our worst enemy. Now, this is why we need each other. This is why we need a community of believers. We need an accountability system, people who care and love for us enough to put us on the right path. See, the third thing that brings about true change is when you actually change your actions. The most destructive thing that you can do is to say, this is just who I am. I can't change at this stage in my life. You can't teach an old dog new tricks. 
people just have to accept me the way I am. <clears throat> now, this may be true if we're talking about your basic personality type, but when it comes to hurtful and destructive actions, then you have to be humble enough to be willing to change. You cannot expect your life to work when you think that you can love God and simply do as you please. The Bible says in the book of Romans, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? But the big problem for Christians today is that there seems to be a great disconnect in our culture between our Christian beliefs and our moral behavior. See, people want to be Christians, but they want to do what they want to do. And when it comes to being a Christian or giving up something they want, they let their Christian life go right out the window. See, a second chance will not mean much if you're going to continue in some sinful behavior. Pastor Nancy shared a story a while back about a community member, a self-proclaimed non-believer, who said this, Why do I need to go to church to see a bunch of people say one thing and then do another? I can do that downtown. Imagine for a moment if we could replay history. Some of it wouldn't go so well, but there are some things that we could definitely benefit from. Think back to the Welsh revivals of the 19th century. The Holy Spirit came upon people in a powerful way. They became so aware of their sin and the need to turn from it that the whole culture was transformed. I didn't say just one or two people, the whole culture. Conviction was strong and a whole culture was changed and many people felt a need to make restitution. And at that moment, a very peculiar thing happened. It created an unexpected problem for the shipyards along the coast of Wales. Over the years, workers had stolen everything from wheelbarrows to ropes to hammers. And as people sought to be right with God, they began to return what they had taken. And the result was that the shipyards of Wales were soon overwhelmed with returned property. In fact, there were such a huge stockpiles of return tools that several of the yards put up signs that read this. If you have been led by God to return what you have stolen, please know that the management forgives you and wishes you to keep what you have taken. Now imagine if that kind of conviction and resulting obedience would happen here in this community, in this country. Our second chance from God might actually lead to a new life and the lives of Christians might actually impact the culture and change the world. See, we have a God who is the God of second chances. Failure is not final. Bad choices can be redeemed, and the future is wide open to those who are willing to take it. True life change happens when we invite God to move in and lead our lives. True change happens when we seek truth and we live by it. And true change becomes evident when our actions begin to reflect the change that God has made in our hearts. See, God's work is powerful. His work is real. Do not short-circuit what he's doing by careless or selfish living or disobedience from his word. Because if we refuse to change, all the second chances in the world won't help us. God gives us hope for transformation, true change. And he will help us to turn the corner in our old way of living. So as we close this message today, I, I ask of you this. Ask God for another chance. But when that chance comes, be willing to take that chance wholeheartedly. Dive into what the word of God tells us to do and make a commitment to truly make a change in your lives. 
Only then will God continue to do a great work in your lives. Will he take those scars and make them conversation pieces to help change other people around you? See, we've never been through a difficulty in our lives that we cannot overcome with God's help. But it's what we do with those difficulties in our lives that will truly make a difference. I hope today as we close up this message, you get a sense of urgency for a life change. You see, we're all a broken people. We're all people who are lost and who, are sin- who have sinned and who are in need of God's second chance, who are in need of God's grace. And our God is more than willing to give a great, that grace every single time. But what we do with it is up to you and up to me. I hope you have an amazing day. I hope this message spoke to you. And I hope to see you again back here real soon. Have a beautiful day. And God bless.